0: Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers, past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So today I am interviewing a good friend of mine, Elizabeth Thompson, who I had the wonderful fortune of working with her in Hello Hollywood, Hello in 1980. I know you were working longer. I came in and you were already there and I left. I think you were there a little longer, but I met you. I won't go into all our stories, but it was just fun. It's fun to interview someone I actually did the same show with because we can collaborate and cooperate and all those things of like piece our memories together of like things that sometimes seem like a dream, like a really good dream. Um, so, Elizabeth, can you just tell me a little bit about your dance history before you became a bluebell dancer?
1: Um, yes, um, I started doing ballet when I was five years old. My mother um, uh, My mother said it was apparent I was going to be very tall. And she didn't want me to slouch or, or, or walk badly, she wanted me to have good posture, like she'd seen in the movie stars, You know, they always stood up lovely and tall and held their heads high. And she wanted me to be the same and not slouch badly. So she put me in once a week ballet classes in a little tiny town way up in the north of England. And uh, we, we went to ballet once a week in the church hall and our bar was the back of a chair. <laughs> and um it started there and it just kept rolling and rolling and my mother's now 96 and every now and again i'll say to her mom did you ever imagine (laughs) that those once a week ballet classes would have taken me around the world (laughs) so that was how i started then when i was 12 Um, I decided that, um, I wanted to really get serious about dancing, um, not just go to once a week classes. And so I asked if I could go to boarding school in England, um, which I know is a shock to a lot of American girls. They go, Oh, I'm so sorry. But you know, it's kind of a rite of passage, I think in, in the the European culture, but, um, the theatrical schools the best ones in england were all down in the south part of england at that time and uh, i wanted to go to a full-time theatrical school so i went to the boarding school um the first one i went to was just south of london it was called grandison college and we turned out quite a few big names like sarah brightman um The Jolly Jovers that we worked with in Hello Hollywood, Faye was actually uh, one of the uh, students there, years before me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know that until way after I'd left the show. And then we were corresponding one day and she said something about Grandy and I went, Grandy? You went to Grandy? That was our nickname. (laughs) For the school. Then um, after that, they closed when I graduated the high school part of it. And so I went up to the Hammond in Chester, um, which was another small, um, privately run uh, professional dancing school. And um, I just, I had, I was really lucky. I just had some fantastic teachers that not only taught me excellent technique and, and how to be a really good teacher as well, but they also were able to bring out the passion that I have for dancing and and that's something you you can't be taught, but they taught me to bring it out you can't teach somebody how to have it, but you can give them the confidence to let it come out of you and i was I was really lucky with the teachers I had there I just they were wonderful. Then I applied to go to the Royal Ballet School for another three years of teachers training. And uh, that that took a long time to, um, to come about. You have to have a medical, you have to have uh, auditions, you have to have interviews. It's not a one-step process. And I had gone through all but the very last process, uh, the final interview. And um, I had entered at the school I was attending, the Hammond, I had been asked to enter some girls for an exam. And I entered them and the lady that was the examiner was actually the one that did the final interviews for the Royal Ballet School. And she asked to meet me after the exams and she talked to me and said, well, what do you plan on doing with your life? And I said, well, I don't know <laughs> she said what do you mean you don't know and I said well I, I'm kind of at a crossroads I really want to teach which is why I've done the three years teaching here but I also want to go on stage it had dawned on me that if if I didn't go on stage how did I teach people to go on stage and I really wanted to go on stage well she said well I just want to tell you you've considered your final interview with the Royal Dunn and we'll hold a place for you if that's what you would like. And I said, well, I've just done an audition for the bluebells. And she was, <laughs> she was this little tiny lady, itty bitty. She reminded me of a creature out of of uh, Beatrix Potter. She was so small. Yeah. And she said, her name was Joan Lawson. If anyone knows her out there, they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. And they, and she said, Oh, she said, I would love to have been tall enough to be a bluebell girl. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I had just done the audition, um, just because I wanted to try it. And my principal was at the Hammond said, "Why don't you go and, and see what's going on?" I'd like you to go. So a group of us had a group of us had gone down to. Um... Sorry, Is that uh, your Quarantine. The dog
0: just took the dog the uh, toys out right now. So oh, that's funny. Going- because this is the world we live in right now. so It is. It is. <laughs> Can I have to go back a little bit? And, and I want to keep, but also like how tall, when we say tall, how yes. tall do you have to be to be a Bluebell? Because I will tell my story
1: eventually about the whole height thing, but
0: what was uh, the minimum? I know there's no maximum because we had some really, yeah, really tall ladies.
1: Yeah, we did. Um, I believe the minimum in those days was five foot eight. Might have been five, seven and a half, but I think it was five foot eight. Um, and I was five foot nine and a half at, at my tallest. <laughs> I think I've shrunk in old age. Oh, I know I have. <laughs> but um, yeah, five foot eight uh, for the Bluebell line. Yes. And then Hello Hollywood had a slightly shorter line, and I believe they were five, seven. Not absolutely sure, but I think they were. But I believe they were the only show in in the world that had, um, of Bluebells, that had a shorter line. I think we were the only show. I'm not sure. I believe so. Um, Yeah, we had to be five foot nine. um, And I went to London with, I think, five other girls from the school. And it was in an apartment in London. And the uh, person that was holding the auditions was called Peter Baker. I've heard many stories about Peter Baker. I have um, fine memories. It doesn't worry me at all. I know some people had good experiences. Some did not. Um, I prefer not to say anything bad about him because that didn't happen to me. Uh, I had a good experience with him. Um, But at this tiny little apartment in London, we had to do um, all kinds of jazz, little jazz movements, very um, abbreviated. (laughs) And um, at the end of the audition, he said, yes, I will hire you. So then I had the daunting task of going home and telling my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Because they hadn't got a clue that I'd gone to the audition. And as far as they knew, I was going to go on to the Royal and do another three years of ballet. Um, So that was, yeah, that was an interesting phone call. But they, they said, all right, well, you know, It's your life (laughs) if you you want to do this. But afterwards, I think they were really proud, really proud. What was your first show then as a Blue Bell? My first one was in Hong Kong. um, And it was called Holiday in Paris, but it was in Hong Kong. (laughs) (laughs) And Blue called me and she said, um, before I went, she called me and she said, she spoke with a a little impediment in her uh, speech. (laughs) Which was just so endearing. It was wonderful. And she pushed her tongue kind of into her bottom lip a little bit. It was just lovely. She was absolutely lovely. And she said, dear, now, have you thought where you'd like to go? And I said, well, what have you got open? She said, well, I've got something in Paris. And I said, you know, I'm not really interested in Paris. I'd like to go far away. And she said, how about Hong Kong? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, yeah, that's far away. <laughs> yeah. So my first job was in Hong Kong for for um, Blue, and I absolutely loved it. Loved it. <laughs> so you
0: went from ballet training in a studio to wearing these exquisite costumes. Yes. And I talked to Lindsay about this too. But I know in America people don't really understand what a bluebell dancer is, and mm-hmm. she kind of said that it's maybe America's equivalent to a rocket, but it's not quite that either. It's not the precision. The, the ballet training is really important, how you use your legs and your toys and wearing these giant headdresses. Mm-hmm. So was it a learning curve? Because the thing I love about these shows is the bigger the costume, the bigger the disaster, the bigger the set, the bigger the stories. So do you have any costume stories of when you went from wearing leotards and ballet shoes to heels, fishnets, and giant <laughs> headpieces on? Yes. Trying to Giant
1: yes. yeah the the very first show i did the very first performance of of my new contract in hong kong um i arrived at about um, two in the morning one of the girls picked me up at, at the airport and took me back to the hotel got me checked in and she said um we've got um rehearsals booked for you tomorrow morning um at 10 o'clock and i just arrived at 2am it was the same morning not tomorrow morning the same morning so I grabbed a couple of hours of sleep and then uh, met one of the girls in the lobby of the hotel we were living in we lived in a beautiful five-star hotel um and she took me next door to the theater which was attached to the hotel and and, um she taught me the dance and because I'd just come out of of full-time uh theatrical school i was very quick at picking up uh, choreography very quick show it to me once i had it i i stayed in that that rhythm i, I didn't lose anything plus i was trying to impress them so i was working really hard on remembering <laughs> it and i picked up this this one dance. she said we're going to put you in one dance tonight this was the day of your first rehearsal <laughs> yes <clears throat> yeah. so, of my first show ever professional show. So, she took, we, we worked on the choreography for about three hours, I think. And she said, yeah, you can go in tonight. And I went, really? And name was Sandy, she was an Australian girl. She was really nice. And she, uh, she said to the company captain, Elizabeth's good, she can go on stage tonight. So he was quite impressed, which was nice. They took me to wardrobe and I looked at this costume and went, oh, okay. And that was kind of trial by fire. I mean, it was, it was a two-piece. Um, there was no nudity in Hong Kong at all. It was all covered by law. Um, but we did have lots and lots of feathers. <laughs> and I'd never seen so many feathers. And the dance I had learned was um, affectionately called chickens. Because, <laughs> because the costume was bright yellow. Bright yellow. And you had very high plumes on on a skull cap. It was a lovely skull cap with just a flimsy piece of elastic under the chin. And then these very high plumes that you, the plume would come out so it could be stored without being damaged. And then you'd just pick up the plume and kind of shove it in this little chimney that was on top of the skull cap. And you had a big, Uh, A tail matching the plumage up here and it was kind of like like you've seen a lot of the costumes like that they kind of come off the g-string and they just fly when you run across the stage they just fly and um high heels well the high heels didn't worry me i was used to working in heels for character work and everything these were a little higher didn't worry me but the costume, nobody told me about these wonderful inventions called chignon pins, which are very strong pins. And I just had bobby pins and the, little, and the little bun pins that we used. So I went on stage that night. And, of course, the first time I started to move, my head went, oh! <laughs> I was throwing my head back with the weight of all these feathers. So this skull cap kept moving further and further. <laughs> <laughs> so at one point I'm on these stairs at the upstage, at the back of the stage, and I thought I'll use my upstage hand and kind of hold it. And hopefully nobody will see this upstage hand. Well, to this day, there is a photograph floating around it was in a newspaper article of course there was a newspaper reporter in that night and they took a photograph and there i am on the stage <laughs> with my chin down because i'm trying to make the skullcap come forwards again like, <laughs> i think people have no
0: but it looks so glamorous but like the grand staircase i don't know how many stairs there do you even know how many stairs the grand staircase to hello Hollywood? No, I'm
1: sure we we counted them, but uh, every night. But I don't think I know. I don't remember. So long.
0: I just remember like learning the choreography, and then you put the heels, and then the huge feathered things on. Yeah. And then you up the staircase, and you can't really look down. Nope. And like, it really is death-defying. Like some of the things in the show, like these are beautiful dancers, but like we're going to stick a giant thing on your head, a bunch <laughs> of backpack, put you in heels, and Liz, your story of the line because I when I came on the lion, I was, I, Nimrod, is that his name? Nimrod, yes. No the show, so I started yes. a place where I would have been in the range of Nimrod, but the, they had taken the lion out of the show. But can you please tell of uh, what the dancers had to deal with with having a, li- a live lion on a set piece of the most, the song was called the most beautiful girl in the world.
1: hmm mm-hmm. So we can please tell about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, after this two hour show, which was really just beautiful, epic number after number after number after number. Glamour and glitz and comedy, and then back to the beautiful glamour and glitz. And we did this wonderful finale. And because it was the MGM, they wanted to highlight the MGM lion. And Nimrod was at the top of the calliope um, which we had a a at the very top they put up a a little platform it was actually a large platform where he went up at the back and sat on this platform and from the audience it looked like he was just sitting up high he was actually inside a caging obviously um, but Nimrod you <laughs> think he really enjoyed his work <laughs> on the click track which went with the with the orchestra um, he, there was a lion who roared we had the recording of a lion roaring and it was supposed to roar uh, because we wanted him to roar on cue they put it on the click track so it, it could be heard every night Nimrod picked up on this in rehearsals that there was another lion to roar. And so he took the cue from the, from the recording and he would roar every night on cue. But on occasion, he'd kind of get in a bee in his body decide he wasn't going to roar. And so he, <laughs> he'd hear this huge roar and his mouth was closed. It looked like he was a ventriloquist dummy with really bad timing. <laughs> and then he'd also get to be in the bonnet. And he'd look, he was up there looking so regal and handsome. And he'd look down at the characters who were on stage, the dancers around him. And you could see it in his eye. He was just like, I'm going to be the star of this show. And unfortunately, one of the characters who was right below him at the base of this calliope, what we would all do is turn and present the lion, uh, kind of a salute to him, and the spotlight would hit him so the audience would go, oh, whoa, there's a lion. And he, <laughs> one night he would he looked at the dancer who was right below him, who was gesturing towards the lion, here's our beautiful lion, And we'd say, hello, Hollywood. (laughs) There's this lion standing there. And the character below him was actually Jerry Tassin. I will say his name just to embarrass him. Um, It was Jerry Tassin. He was dressed as the scarecrow from (laughs) Wizard of Oz. And Nimrod decided that it was time to spray. (laughs) And being a male lion, he knew how to spray. And poor Jerry got the full pelt of it.
0: Oh my gosh. Ah. And I'm sure that, is, that smell cannot be. I'm thinking with those costumes, you can't just throw those in the
1: washing machine. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. I have no idea how they dealt with it. I don't think anyone was going near Jerry for a while. Good thing, <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we had showers backstage. <laughs>
0: yeah, he was gone, but we also had nine or six white horses. Yeah. They would go across and I just remember like what, in the song which is just so funny was the most beautiful girl in the world and you had to pick up your costume piece and step over the horse poop because they right. would sometimes poop on the stage so there's just like a lot of <laughs> a lot of things to happen. Yeah. But I was sad in a way that, that I wasn't there with the line but after hearing that story I think I would have been in his radius because I was up towards the top of that set so I probably would have been in his shot. Yeah. So I Uh, another question for you and then we will wrap it up i want to ask one person all the questions but i'm going to be interviewing different people who have different angles on this yeah um i have three different ways i want to go with you can you just where did you go from there i know you got to travel and do so much with with miss bluebell and
1: don arden show so where did you end up going and traveling and how long did you do it for i did it for way too short i i wish i could have done it for years and years longer Um, However, hindsight's always easier than foresight and you know, I don't regret anything at all Um, Hong Kong was my first show and then we were supposed to go to Japan and Portugal However, the the yen dropped very very low. So she did cancel our tour Uh, We were going to do three months Portugal six months Japan, I think or vice versa But she cancelled that tour and she sent me to Barcelona to the scala barcelona um and i was there about six months i believe and then she was looking for people to go to vegas and she offered me the stardust in las vegas so i went to the stardust and i did uh lido uh lido 77 i think it was we did 76 77. Um, and that was a fabulous show, it really was. We danced really hard in the show, it was lovely. We did a lot of dancing. And then I went up to Reno. I was a uh, principal understudy in the Reno show for three and a half years. Then I left and had my first baby, little girl. And I actually went back in the show after she was born. But um, after about, I think, I can't remember if it was six months or a year, I decided that was it was just too hard a husband baby on a day schedule when not be on a night schedule nah, It didn't work <laughs> so um i did leave at that point um i stayed home with my daughter for a couple couple a few years and then i started teaching ballet in reno and i taught at the conservative movement for about 10 years uh, briefly had my own studio um, then life took a big change for me. So I just, um, I, I also had two back surgeries. So the uh, surgeon actually said, you know, might be time to hang up the ballet shoes. <laughs> so
0: It's yeah. such a hard place as a dancer. Yes. It's such a, like our bodies, you know, they oh, do work. Yeah. Even just yeah. thinking like what we wore and like in some ways it made us healthier, in some ways it probably, you know, wore our hips out. Oh, yeah faster oh, okay. than a normal human yeah um, yeah and then i we are going to wrap up here because i'm really doing well at not going for four hours i would love to just keep i have so many things i want to talk about but maybe we'll have to do part two and then because people move on and we didn't have facebook like i lost contact with you and then married names and then thank you to facebook that you found me yes And then together which is so fun because like there's that part of our life that other people don't get I mean there's not really much context for that so to get together and then i went to the reunion and like to have like all of us in one place and to get to see like oh my gosh this is what you're part of and these people are fabulous and their stories like that was a, a, a golden era maybe in our dance career but it shaped so much of what came after mm-hmm. so just to be able to meet up with you again was such a wonderful gift because it's like oh this is a reminder of really fabulous people that are in my life that also understand this part of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you say yeah. you danced, got peed on by a lion, or you know, <laughs> and people think I'm lying when I say that our stage was a, was a football field? Yeah, yeah. And an audience of three thousand. I looked that up. I hope I'm saying that right. Three yeah. thousand two, two shows a night. So that's six thousand people a night. Yes. It was two shows. So it's such a an interesting memory to not have anything to, to compare it to now. Right. So that's podcast is just uh, the stories are so fabulous and everybody's got a different angle on it. And I think it is just a celebration that we got to do this. We got I to do something exquisite. Weren't we lucky? We were so lucky. So lucky. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's, um, it's just something good to celebrate and there's however long we live, we're going to keep doing these reunions to keep those memories going. And then, Maybe it'll come back. Who knows? I don't know that anyone could bring it back like Don Arden and Miss Bluebell.
1: I don't know. You know, just to add to that a little bit, um, several years ago now, I took uh, one of my daughters into London and we went to see cats <laughs> and, um, on on the, in the West End of London. And afterwards, we were on the train going back to where we were staying and three kids got kids. They were kids to me. <laughs> three young adults got on the train. And I could tell from the shine on their face that they had just removed a lot of shade. I mean, you can just tell. <laughs> stage makeup. And they came and sat right in the same area as us. And we got talking. Turned out they were dancers from Cats. And they. my daughter said to them, my mom was a dancer. And they said, You were? And I said, yes. They said, well, where were you trained? I said, I was trained at the Hammond in Chester. And they said, well, what did you do? And I said, I was a bluebell girl. And these three dancers who were in Cats, one of the earliest cast members, who were absolutely phenomenal dancers, phenomenal. And they're sitting there going, oh, you were a bluebell girl. And it felt so good. It oh, really did. Yeah. Yeah. It was that wonderful.
0: I to see. Well, I don't know if the bluebells are in bloom right now because mine are popping up all over my yard. And it's just interesting when I started this podcast, and it's actually going to be called Bluebells Forever. Um, oh, yeah. That yeah. there's like all over the yard. They're just popping up everywhere. So it just feels like time yep. to celebrate. It's time to celebrate um, where we've been. Yes. And keep those stories alive. So, Miss Elizabeth, it was an honor, honor, honor <laughs> to talk to you. And so happy quarantine to you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. May and your bare shine on. Oh, and to you, my friend, may your bare always be shining. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Sherry. <laughs> Thank you, friend.